listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with almost 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listener-submitted emails and calls. Mm -hmm. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. I sure will. Uh, we have some great questions today, questions about offset guitars. In fact, Melissa wanted to know what an offset guitar was. So, Are we going to learn about that? We'll, we'll talk about that. Cool. Questions about pickguards, oiling fingerboards, capacitors, all kinds of stuff. Needle. All emails. We don't have any calls today, just emails. Oh, yeah, which is fine. Yeah. We don't, we don't need calls. We can do emails. Uh, so w- what's on your bench right now? A lot of things, a lot of repairs. I'm I'm still working on a uh, a Gibson ES125 that was sent to me in several pieces that were bolted together. Wow! Uh, some crazy person tried to fix this thing with wood screws and whatnot. Uh, I've almost that got got that all put back together, and it looks really great. I'll, when I'm done with that, I'm going to post pictures of, on my Instagram. Cool. Which is at Eric Daw Custom Guitars. But what I really wanted to tell you about, what's on my bench. Yes. I'm just starting a project. I was inspired by the Skip Simmons, Jason Verlindi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Truth About Vintage Amps podcast. Cool. Which is a great podcast, by the way. Probably my favorite podcast. Cool. Aside from ours. You like ours better than theirs? Uh, No, what I'm saying is ours doesn't count. Because it's not a podcast. Well, it is a podcast, but it doesn't count because I host the podcast. Oh, I see what you mean. All right, do you even right. listen to it? I do not. Wow. I tried to listen to every episode for a long time, and then I could not do it anymore. Don't like your voice, huh? It's I say dumb things, and then I... <laughs> I say dumb things. <laughs> I'm going to cut that little audio section out of this podcast and use it as a... Uh, I'm just going to install a button over here that'll say, I say dumb things. <laughs> um, anyhow, I used to listen to it to make sure that there was no dead air and to make sure it made sense and whatnot. But right. I, I don't anymore. So we rely on you, listeners. Yeah, so if you hear something weird in a podcast, like, like two minutes of dead air, that's not just me thinking. Yeah, you should email us. sometimes that happens, too. say... 
something happened. Anyhow, I was inspired by the Truth About Vintage Amps podcast. And uh, I've been thinking about amps, and I ended up with this really cool box that used to house a vintage reel-to-reel tape machine that I bought at a thrift store years ago. I bought it for the microphone. The microphone was... I, I knew this microphone was something that harmonica players use. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. And so I bought it just for the uh, microphone. And so I sold the microphone for like $150 on Reverb. Nice. And now I've got this reel-to-reel. Well, I took the reel-to-reel out of the box to get like all the vintage caps and resistors out of it and tubes. So now I've got just this empty box that's like a 1950s pine box covered in cool material uh, it's got a great Bakelite handle. It looks like it's about the size of like a deluxe amp. So I didn't know what to do with this box. And I thought this is going to make the perfect amp. I already have speakers. I have a ton of speakers. Yeah. The problem is I don't make amps right. or know how to make amps. Right. Or know anything about amps. So, oh. uh, well, I know enough to get in trouble. I do know a little bit. I have a tube tester and I can replace parts. You know, but uh, what I decided to do was order a kit. So I'm going to put, I, I just ordered a chassis with all the parts, transformers, tubes into the box and mount did, a speaker in it. And it's going to be great. Did you just say chassis? Yeah. Isn't it chassis? That, I believe that's the French pronunciation. What? Uh, so anyhow, uh I'm not going to tell you the brand of the kit until after I build it. Just once to make I, sure it's all good? Once I build it. Well, I don't know. It's just a fun little suspense. Oh. After I build it, I'm going to review this thing, and uh, I am pretty excited about it. It's fun. Cool. But it's just the chassis. No, I think it's pronounced chassis. But it's not a Stumac kit or any, you know, it's not, it's kind of an off the radar kit. I had to kind of do some digging and find, find this. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the, the company until later, but I'll, I should have it built by the next episode of the podcast. Wow, really? I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. So are you going to reveal on the next episode? Yeah, maybe I'll record it and we'll do some sound clips. I don't know. Nato. It'll be fun. Fabulous. What have you been working on lately? Um, I just finished a replica of, uh, one of Danny Gatton's guitar straps that oh, he used. Oh, yeah. I saw it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I decided, cause the original doesn't look like it was dyed. It looked like it was natural and then it just aged naturally. You know, it became that kind of caramely color. Uh huh. So I'm testing out some, some crazy methods that, uh, to I've age never, it. Yeah. Cool. I've never really used before. I'm not dyeing it. Basically, I'm, wow. I'm trying to age it to make it look like it was it's old. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Exciting. Yep. It's exciting. Very exciting. Shall we do some news? Yeah, sure. Guitar news. Etsy acquires music instrument marketplace reverb for $275 million. Wow. Etsy bought reverb. Yeah. That's crazy. For the listeners at home that don't know what Etsy is, Etsy is a website where uh, women sell things that they have glued seashells to. Do I have that right? You know, I sell on Etsy, right? <laughs> you know that. 
Yeah, I should. I I shouldn't. Uh, yeah. What is Etsy? Tell us what Etsy is. It's a handmade marketplace. Oh, it's actually really cool. I've bought things on Etsy before. I don't mean to make light. It's just funny that they've bought Reverb. It's a little bit odd. It makes sense to me. It's it's the same kind of community minded. Like you, you're the buyer gets to connect directly with the seller, mm-hmm. and and it's. I mean, some of the instruments I'm sure on Reverb are handmade, but like, do you sell on Reverb? I do. Uh, and v- Etsy also sells vintage. They do handmade and oh, vintage. So it's like a giant online farmer's market without the produce. That's correct. And it's so awesome. Yeah. In fact, they have a not, I don't know if they actually sell produce, but they do have like seeds and stuff. I, seeds? I, yeah. I for often growing buy, your own produce? I buy heirloom seeds on Etsy sometimes. On Etsy? Yeah. Wow, that is such a hipster thing to do. <laughs> I get all my seeds on Etsy. Okay. I mess around with these Kmart yeah. seeds. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so... You want me to read this article? I thought... Yeah, okay. So, d- does eBay not own one of these... Co- I thought eBay bought either Etsy or Reverb. I guess not. I don't think so. Well, let's hear the article. Let's hear the news story. Who, right. who's, where is this from? This, I can't actually tell. Where, where is it from? Where did you print this off from? Oh, I don't know. Let me see. It says commerce at the top, but... This is uh, written by Paul Sawyers. There you go. Yeah, we don't know where it's from. Uh, Etsy has announced plans to acquire Reverb, a marketplace for new and used musical instruments in a cash deal worth approximately $275 million. Wow. Well, they were obviously selling. It's not like this is some kind of hostile takeover. Right. Yeah. Uh, New York-based Etsy has made a handful of acquisitions in its 15-year history, but Reverb is the first since they bought... AI startup Blackbird back in 2016. Well, nobody's heard of that. Don't know what that is. Um, that's that's about it. I mean, how interesting. There's no more. There's no more information in this article that we need to know. Okay. Well, do you do you want to look at it? No, I uh, I trust you. Okay. I, you 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 uh, your speed reading. Etsy game bought is Reverb. Two hundred and seventy-five. I trust that you read this entire page. And decided that it had zero there is in- no, information. No, in- no new information. Yeah, I'm going to read the last paragraph because that's where the good things always are. Did you know that? No. If you ever want to get the real scoop, you read an article backwards. Okay, but that's just a the that's last a paragraph quote from the Reverb CEO. Etsy, thank you. Etsy forged a path. <laughs> this is a quote from <laughs> Etsy CEO David Cult. No, Reverb CEO. Reverb founder and CEO, oh, thank you. Reverb founder and CEO David Colt noted that Etsy was actually part of the reason he started Reverb in the first place. Etsy forged a path and gave me the confidence to start Reverb when I saw the need for a musician's marketplace six years ago, he said. Reverb has always found inspiration in Etsy. Since our inception, we've admired their unwavering support of creative businesses and entrepreneurs, their values-driven approach to business, and their dedication to keeping commerce human. Not to mention their appreciation for all things vintage. So that's cool. At first, I was a little bit surprised, and I thought, hmm, this isn't good. But then I realized it's actually probably great. Etsy is awesome. I sell on Etsy because, you know, a lot of states charge sales tax, and they're required, like, if you ship something into their state, yes. you're required to charge sales you tax. You are now, yeah. Right. Well, that's a pain in the butt if you're a seller. Yeah. 
Etsy takes care of it. They charge the tax, then they pay it for you. Right. So you, you don't, you never have to do anything about it and it doesn't cost you anything extra. That is correct. It costs the customer a little extra, the tax, but there's nothing you can do about that unless you want to go overthrow the government, which we don't recommend. I don't want to hear any knocks on my door from men men in black. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, here's another bit of news. This is actually, this is like firsthand reporting here. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is news from a listener. It's really just kind of a human interest story. It's an update on his guitar. Oh, okay. It's not really news. We're ready we're calling to listen. It, well, we're calling it news. Hi, guys. I thought I'd give a list, the listeners a follow-up on the horror story from Down Under, as promised. You may recall the guitar, a 1941 Martin Doublelot 17 I purchased online, and it arrived with additional features... <laughs> Not mentioned in the description, such as a headstock crack and the fretboard almost fully detached from the neck, much to my horror. After a month of negotiations with the seller, he informed me that an insurance claim had gone through, but this would mean I had to return the guitar and I would only receive part of what I originally paid. As I'm somewhat of a pacifist and didn't want things to get ugly, I decided to just suck it up and keep the guitar. As my wife said, you were never going to return it anyway. She knows me far too well. I decided to repair the guitar myself. I used hot hide glue on both repairs, a small suction cup, a syringe, and a tiny bit of hot water into the fine headstock crack to wick the glue in as per a Dan Erlewine trick I saw once. Parentheses, I'm a huge Dan fan. I purchased a cheap digital thermometer and used my wife's rice cooker to get the glue to 140 to 150 degrees Fahrenheit. A tip for all those backyard budding luthiers out there, mum's rice cooker will work a treat. That must that must be an Aussie saying. You've never heard that before? It'll work a treat. It'll work a treat. Was that an Australian accent? Can you do an Australian accent? I think I've just proven that I cannot. I clamped both repairs appropriately for a couple of days for the joints to fully set. At certain angles, the headstock repair is not visible at all, and the fretboard went back on beautifully. I then shaped a new unbleached bone saddle as the old saddle was worn and badly cut. I then ramped the E and B positions on the bridge slightly to create a better string angle over the saddle, and to finish the job off nicely, I fitted a set of Golden Age reproduction tuners. Those are from Stuart MacDonald. It was quite an ordeal that I really shouldn't have had to go through, but at the end of the day, after doing all the repairs myself, all a little stressful due to my lack of luthiery experience, it has given me a real bond with the old girl. I love her to bits, and I'm very happy with the results, as I now have a nice-sounding and very playable all-mahogany vintage Martin. The perfect couch guitar, and a nice one to gig with as well. Many thanks to you, Eric, for your... That's me. To you, Eric, for your advice... Always there when I need help. Stumac for the bits and pieces. Dan Erlewine for the wealth of experience that he's shared with the world for so many years. And he also thanks his beautiful wife, Pam. This sounds like an acceptance speech. Yes, for the use of her rice cooker. And for always throwing her full support behind him. Keep up the great work, guys. Take care of each other. That's Andy from Deniliquin, Australia. Thanks, there you Andy. Go. That's a bit of guitar news for you from awesome. down under. That wasn't really news, was it? It was. It was exactly news. That's right. Let's read some uh, letters, shall we? Okay. Letters. 
letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. I saw the Jazzmaster style guitar that you made on Instagram, and I think it's a beauty. Thank you. I know that they are not your thing, but just out of curiosity, what would it take for you to like these? I mean, if Fender had wired them different from the start and maybe designed the bridge better, would you still think, man, those offset guitars are ugly? (laughs) That's from Dublin Danny. Thanks, Dublin. I assume that that means his name is Danny and he's from Dublin. Well, here's full disclosure. This this was not sent in as a Fret Files podcast comment. Oh. I just took this off my Instagram because oh. he 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 left this comment on that picture and I edited it a little bit so it would fit in with the podcast. And his name on Instagram is Dan- Dublin Danny. So All that right. explains that. All right, Dublin Danny. Uh, anyhow, thanks. I'm glad you think it's a beauty. Um, it's somebody twisted my arm. Here's what happened. Somebody twisted my arm, wanted me to make this guitar. And so I did. It's the first offset guitar I've made. Okay. Melissa wants to know what is an offset guitar? What's an offset guitar? Jazzmasters and Jaguars, the, the belly where, or the, the, the inside curves. The waist. The waist. Thank you. The waist. The two curves cuts are offset from each other okay so they're not symmetrical yeah so they call them they call them offsets okay jazz masters and jaguars uh anyhow yeah they're not my thing it's this is the first and probably the only one i'll make i don't know but it's not that i think they're ugly that's the thing it's not that i think they're ugly it's that i think they're poorly designed i don't like the way they play I'm really not crazy about the pickups. Uh, I don't like the way they were wired. I mean, there's really nothing about them that I like, except the fact that I think they're beautiful. Wow. They look great. It's not that I think they're ugly at all. What's with the extra switches on them? Exactly. What do those do? It's a bit overkill. Do those do anything? They do. Nothing useful. (laughs) Do you want me to explain it? No, you don't have to. Okay. <clears throat> it's best that I don't. I'm sure Anyhow. everybody listening knows what they do. Actually, they probably don't. I I used to get asked that question so many times at my previous place of employment, which was a music store, right? I got asked two questions all the time. What do these switches on a Jazzmaster do? And the other question I got all the time was, what do all these switches on a Gretsch do? So I printed out two giant pictures, one of a Jazzmaster, <laughs> one of a Gretsch, and I labeled what each switch and knob did, and then I put them in frames and hung them out on the guitar floor. Wow. And told the guys working the floor, the salesman, if you ever need to ask me that again, don't. Just look at the picture. You can be... I was helping them. Abrasive sometimes. Well, I was helping them. This is not an abrasive. I'm sure I did it as nicely as possible. Oh, you can yeah, imagine. I'm sure. Uh, but here's another thing I did. By the way, uh, I made extras that had blanks where you could, you would have to fill in what oh all the knobs God, and switches no. do. And I told the guys, I said, uh, if anybody comes and says they want an application, staple these two things together and give it to them and say, okay, here's a pen, go sit in that room and fill out what all these knobs and switches do. That's the application to work here. (laughs) If you can fill this out, 
<laughs> you're hired. I thought I thought you were giving it to the guys as like a pop quiz. I think I tried to do that as well. You disgust me. Thank you. Uh, anyhow, what were we talking about? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, what would it take for you to like these? <sighs> a lot of money, Danny. <laughs> I mean, we're talking millions. It's not that I... It's not... Look, here's the deal. It's not that I hate them or something like that. Do you know how many guitars there are and how many different types and brands and models? They're just another... They're just another model that I don't particularly care for. The only thing is, the Fender Company nailed it with Telecasters, then nailed it with Stratocasters, and almost every design since then has been a lemon, in my opinion. Wow. They're goofy, over-engineered, weird, quirky, doinky guitars. You heard it here, folks. What has... So, when Leo Fender sold the company in 1964 and CBS took over, what did they design after that? Nothing. What what new product have they had since that happened? The They have a teleacoustic. Isn't, isn't that a thing? Oh, that's great. Let's, let's run out and buy five of those. <laughs> so, what I'm saying is, Fender made the Telecaster, then they made the Stratocaster, and then... They made a couple of goofy guitars, and then they sold the company. That's my opinion. There you go. The Fender and the and the the Tele and the Strat are great. Oh, and the P bass, the Precision bass is great. Cool. All right, I think we've spent enough time on this Instagram. Comment. Indeed, thank you, Danny. Even though you probably don't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Hi, Eric. We got the guitar. Holy hell, dude. This thing is absolutely gorgeous. We really can't thank you enough. He is utterly in love with it. You're truly an artist, and I'm totally in awe. Cheers and lots of love, Denali. Thanks, Denali. I made a guitar for Denali's uh, husband. You just had to include that, huh? I did. Again, this was not submitted to the podcast, per se. This was just an email that was sent to me that I thought the listeners might find. Just had to uh, slip that in. Interesting. They were so happy with They were so happy with it. I just that just tickles me. I'm glad. That's awesome. Yes, thank you. Yeah. A question for your podcast. I am only through episode 76. In case you haven't already addressed it, the possibility of re-stretching out a shrunken pickguard to fit so that the screw screw holes line up to the body again. Maybe you have already discussed it, but I do not recall offhand. That's from Vincent. Thanks Vincent. Vintage uh, pick guards, certain uh, materials do shrink, and there's really nothing you can do. They can't be stretched or reformed or anything like that. There's 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 nothing you can do to turn back the clock on those. Sorry, they they start to shrink and it pulls on the holes and it cracks the pick guard. And there's, I mean, what can you do? Yeah, there's nothing you can do. You just gotta replace if, it. Here's something to think about: if you ever take it off and have it off the guitar for any amount of time. A trick is um, to screw it to a piece of wood so that it's not, so that it has some tension on it so it doesn't shrink more, you know? Yeah. In Vincent's case, he sent me a picture of his Telecaster, and someone basically took like a hot butter knife and carved up an extra pickup, you know, (laughs) hole in it. It looks like hell. So in your case, Vincent, I would just say, let's replace that pickguard with a really good quality one. Because it's ruined anyway. Right. 
So aside from being shrunk, but yeah, there's no restretching those. Sorry. Thanks, Vincent. Hi, Eric and Melissa. The world of caring for non-lacquered fingerboards on acoustic or electric electric guitars seems to be a very wild one. There's lemon oil that does not really have a lot of lemon. From what I get, it's basically mineral oil with a little scent. Other people use gunstock oil oil or ballistol? Ballistol? Ballistol. I don't know. All in an attempt to clean and lubricate those open pore woods. Other people use linseed oil to achieve more of a finished and lacquer-like surface. And there's other people that say if you play your guitar regularly, the residual oil on your fingers will do all the greasing you need. I know this is a long-term problem. It will probably take decades for for a rosewood fingerboard to dry out so much that it starts cracking. I also have seen many guitars where the fingerboard is absolutely drenched in goo because the player wants to take care of his instrument by liberally splashing with lemon oil every time the strings are changed. So, as always, what's your final verdict? Your opinion? What should I use and how and how often? Or, even more personal, what do you do with your own instruments? Uh-huh. Keep up the show. Really love seeing how both of you are turning into professional radio presenters. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, can't wait to hear your review of the new Jack White album. Oh, there's the knife. Nice. That's from Axel, German, living in the UK. Axel, your English is impeccable. Much better than mine. He's probably using Google Translate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. <clears throat> yeah, no new review of the Jack White album. I don't... Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, on... Uh, oiling your fingerboard. Here's what I use. It's a product by Gerlitz, and it's called Guitar Honey. Guitar Honey. I know I've mentioned it before. At least I'm pretty sure that I have on the podcast. Uh, I assume it's available overseas, although I don't know for certain. But here in the States, we get it. Gerlitz, G-E-R-L-I-T-Z, and uh, it's called Guitar Honey. That's what I use. Um... A couple times a month is good. Whoa, that often. Uh, uh, Excuse me. I I, I mean a a couple times a year. Oh, okay. I didn't mean a month. (laughs) A couple times a year is good. Um, You can, you know, every time you change strings is a a little excessive, but that's fine. Here's the deal. Spray just a little bit on a cloth or a rag or a paper towel and rub it into the fingerboard and then take a clean paper towel or whatever and rub off the excess. You don't need to overdo it. You don't want it to... It doesn't need to be greasy like a piece of fried chicken. It just needs to be... It just needs to be oiled very slightly and then the excess can be wiped off. Right. So if you're seeing fingerboards that are that are oiled up like caked in goo, then that's not good. <laughs> but, um, you know, especially ebony. Ebony can... Ebony can get um, dry and crack a lot faster than rosewood. So, hmm. But any rosewood or, or ebony fingerboard, that's what I use. It's called Guitar Honey. I have no idea what's in it. I assume some mineral oil and whatever other, some mild oils, you know. Right. But I just like the way that it works. And uh, the excess rubs off and it, it's not super heavy duty like linseed oil. That's overkill. I don't recommend that. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. There you go, Axel. Oh, wait. What do you do with your own instruments? Guitar, honey. But how often? 
Well, that's kind of an exception because I don't get a chance to work on my own guitars very often in a perfect world a couple times a year. Okay. There you go. Yes. Thanks, Axel. Hey, Eric. I thought of you when I was watching that pedal show on YouTube because they had a Simon, they had Simon Garrett from Kingsley Amps on. It's Simon Jarrett. Simon Jarrett from Kingsley Amson, and he was talking about tone caps. I remember you made the lie detector and found tone cap construction did not make a difference in guitar in the guitar tone circuit, but you also asked Skip on the Vintage Amp podcast why it made a difference in an amp. Yeah. I think Simon might have had the most succinct way of explaining why tone cap construction does not make a difference in a guitar, but it does in an amp. He likens the cap in the amp to a filter on your tap that you use for drinking versus adding a filter to your drain in a guitar. In an amp, the sounds go... The sound goes through the cap and you hear the construction. Mm-hmm. In a guitar, the signal that goes through the cap is dumped to ground and you never hear it. Hmm. That blew my mind. That's from John. Yeah. Yeah. That does make some sense to me, you know? Yeah. In, in a guitar circuit, capacitors are used just to bleed off certain frequencies to ground. So you're not hearing those frequencies anyway. They're being bled off to ground. Where an amp... The tone is really shaped by the capacitors, and so maybe maybe uh, the construction of the cap does make a difference. I'm still not sold on that. I, I just don't know. It's hard for me to imagine that electrons care what a capacitor is made out of, but I'm willing to be open to that because guys that I respect, namely Skip, Simmons, and others, say that uh, different uh, different style caps uh, do make a tone difference. Yeah, makes sense. So yeah, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to consider that. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Well, I'm not just doing this show for my health. If you need some help with your guitar, if you have a repair you need some help with, if you have a pickup that needs to be rewound, anything at all guitar related just let me know i would love to help you people send me repairs from all over the states not everybody has a tech in their area not everybody has a luthier they can trust especially if it comes to something kind of complicated if if you're you know refretting a vintage guitar or or resetting the neck on a old martin or something like that those are the kind of things you don't want to just trust to anybody I would love to help you out. Let me know. You can contact me through my website, ericdaw.com, or you can give me a call at 208-557-4329. Hey, Eric and Melissa. The G and B strings on my Gretsch 6120 rattle and sound weak compared to the other strings. I'm 90% sure the noise is coming from the tunematic, and those saddles appear to be loose. Is there an effective way to remedy this? I just pushed down that spacing wire with a flathead screwdriver to increase tension on the adjustment screw, but that didn't do a thing. Maybe it's worth noting that the Bigsby is crooked and needs straightened, but I'm guessing that these are separate issues. Thoughts? Thanks, Wit. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a separate issue with the Bigsby. Um, it sounds to me like, <clears throat> uh, you know, 
your Gretsch probably has a, a cheap tunematic on there. And if you really want to fix this, here's what I would do is I would buy a nice high-end tunematic replacement like a Tone Pros. Um, the fit on those saddles in the in that little groove, in that little slot, uh, is just not very good on, on cheap tunematics. And if you've got, like on a Gretsch, if you've got a case where the strings come across the saddle and then they don't have a very steep angle continuing onto the tailpiece, there's just not enough downward pressure to make those behave if the, if the fit is poor. And so you lose sustain, you lose tone, and then you have rattles. What I would do would be to replace that bridge. That's what I would do, because if it's if those saddles are loose in there, uh, that tells me that it's not a very well-made bridge. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Wit. Thank you. Eric and Melissa, I hope all is well in sunny Idaho. I have a question about single pickup versus two pickup guitars. I personally prefer single bridge pickup guitars because I'm always on the bridge pickup. The controls are simple and I think they look cooler. Uh, look cleaner. I was watching a rig rundown video the other day and a guy was explaining that he was of the opinion that single pickup guitars sounded brighter or more open because there wasn't a second magnetic field at the neck fighting the vibrations of the strings. I was wondering what your thoughts are and if you think there is any validity to this theory. Thanks for the great show, Zach in Seattle. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I... I... Uh, I, too, think that uh, single pickup guitars have a cool look. They look clean. They look cool. Uh, I don't own any, but the, my, the drawback with them is is uh, you don't have a lot of... You have fewer tonal variations at your fingertips, so right. I prefer multiple pickup guitars. Uh, but, no, I I don't subscribe to this theory that the neck pickup is somehow robbing you of something in in a dual or or three pickup guitar uh neck pickups can interfere with the way strings vibrate but if they are then you need to lower them right right uh, a properly adjusted neck pickup is not inhibiting the string vibration in my opinion Maybe a tiny, tiny bit, but it's imperceptible if it's adjusted properly. And the bottom line is I never listen to a record and think to myself, oh, that guitar, that sounds like a single pickup guitar. I can tell because there's no neck pickup uh, to mess with the vibrations of the strings. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's kind of how I, that's the filter that I look at things through. Like, right. does this matter or is this just somebody's like really with somebody with really who's really gone down the rabbit hole of a certain thing? And they're now they're making up reasons why it's better. That's my opinion. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Zach. Hello from Canada. First, I wanted to thank you both for the many hours of knowledge you've shared with us throughout the years. I had a quick question for Melissa. Oh, good. That's me. 
I have a few older guitars which are showing their age, but all of my run-of-the-mill leather guitar straps, including including some that have been used for the past 20 years, still look brand new. I'd love to age them a little and take a bit of the sheen out. Any tricks you could share to make them match my 40-plus-year-old heavily gigged guitars? Thanks in advance. Regards, Frank. Well, Frank, you can you can only do it one way. How's that? And that's manually. So, uh, What if you um, tie it off on a rope behind your truck? And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was thinking, take it out in your backyard, dig a hole. <laughs> and bury it? Bury it. When you take it out in like a couple days, swing it around your head, hit it, you know, hit You're a couple trees with it. I, there's really no way to do it but sandpaper. I mean, if you want to take the sheen off. scotch bright. Yeah, maybe scotch bright. It depends on what kind of leather it is. If it's veg tan leather, uh, if it's tooled leather, it's... Uh, I don't know. Probably some Scotch Bright would take the sheen off take of it. The sheen off. If it's like a chrome tan, like a. What if you just like pull it across the edge of a table or something? Just roll yeah. it, roll it along the edge of a table. Yeah, and that's like I I make those aged broadcaster straps, uh-huh. and I basically just had to find an instrument in my shop that made the right mark on the leather. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. You just experiment until you find the thing that looks the best. Yeah. Because. Some of these straps he's had for 20 years, he probably doesn't want to experiment on them. He, right. He wants to know from know. the expert. Well, the expert says sandpaper is always, well, to always take off a little bit of something, something. But scotch Bite's probably the way to start. If he takes it too far, can he re-oil it and get a. It depends on what kind of leather it is. If yeah. you take it too far off the top, you're done. It's going to look like that forever. If it's a leather guitar strap, any kind of leather, is there a universal product you can use on that? Like saddle soap or mink oil? Or? Yeah. I mean, you can oil any. T- well, see, like patent leather you won't take oil because it's got a solid Oh, finish. sure. You well, yeah, I mean? if it's patent leather, that's a different... I, I doubt this is patent leather. I'm sure he's got like those... Those old leather yeah. guitar straps. I'm sure that they're either, they're probably vegetable tans, maybe not tooling leather, but I don't mm. know. You can oil it, but the oil will make it look nicer, not worse. Yeah. It does make it more kind of supple, though, and gives it yeah. more of a vintage feel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, t- take a uh, take a Scotch-Brite or a... Or some fine sandpaper. Yeah. Yeah. And... T- just rough up a little spot and see how you like how it looks. There you go. Yeah, sorry. Thanks, Frank. Uh, hi, Eric and Mel. I hope you're all well and good to hear business is booming. Eric, how would you go about fixing nail slash pickup scratches in a French polished, polished acoustic top? Any special tricks or is it just a lot of elbow grease? Thanks, Jim and Sunny Coast, Cal- uh, Australia. Thank you, Jim. How would I go about fixing scratches in a French polished acoustic top? Those finishes are so, they can be so thin uh, that I I don't really recommend doing anything. Just some light polish and that's, honestly, that's, that's all I would, if, if you were in my shop saying, can you buff these out? I would say, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll put it on the buffing wheel, but if we're if we're going to try to touch things up and sand and s- stuff like that, no. No, no, no. Um, it's just too thin to try to repair. If they're just super light scratches, uh, elbow grease and a little bit of polishing compound, but man, don't go too far because once you pop through that finish and down to the wood, it's over. You're done. So really be careful. I would rather personally, here, I would rather live with a few light scratches in it and not risk burning through the finish. Hmm. That sounds like good advice. That's what I'm going to tell you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Sorry I butchered your question. Hey, Melissa and Eric, I just discovered your podcast a couple nights ago and I am totally hooked. I've been listening... I've listened to eight or nine of the most recent ones already, and I'm about to start from the very beginning and go at them all in order. My uh, condolences. There's been a lot of high glue talk lately, as you are both well aware, but I haven't heard any mention of so-called liquid hide glue. Mm. I've heard Dan Erlewine mention several times he uses it, especially, specifically the one made by Tightbond for the much longer working time. It apparently is nearly identical to hot hide glue once cured and is even compatible, compatible with old hot hide glue applications when doing repair work. Do you have any experience with the liquid version? And if so, what are your opinions of it? We all have to do our part to keep this heated hide glue debate raging. Did you see what he did there? Yeah. Uh, And this is my small contribution. You are both wonderful to listen to, and I'm looking forward to getting caught up on the rest of your episodes. Thanks, Travis. Did you you know that we're both very attractive as well? We are gorgeous. (laughs) Just kidding. It's just weird to hear these compliments like you're both wonderful to listen to. I appreciate it. We're uh, also, believe me, I appreciate it. It's just um I, it's just not my nature to take these compliments in in stride. <laughs> we're both also excellent dancers. That is not true <laughs> at all. Uh Travis, there are no shortcuts to perfection. Uh, hot hide glue is so good. I love it so much. I really do. It's my favorite glue. Um, the shelf stable liquid hide glue that you can buy at the woodworking store, uh, does work if you want to glue up a chair or something. I don't want, I, I personally don't use it. I, I, I know that they have to add some retardants to it in order to keep it from setting. They have to add stuff to it to slow down the cure time. And uh, it can't be good for the uh, for the permanent bond. It can't be good for the glue to add this stuff to it to make it shelf-stable and liquid. It can't be good. The other thing you'll notice is... Um, those bottles of liquid hide glue ex- have an expiration date and uh, it comes up it sneaks up on you. you you won't even you won't even use that whole bottle before it expires you'll use maybe half of it if you use it a lot um and once it expires believe me and that stuff doesn't work anymore i know this because i've tried that liquid hide glue years ago and, does it just uh, harden no it doesn't harden Oh. So you'll glue something together, and then it'll come apart in two weeks. 
Oh. Or whenever. Wow. It's it it's not a reliable glue anymore after the expiration date. And it's a, it's not like at noon on June 3rd your glue expires and no longer works. It's a slow transition, right? Right. So uh that glue is just decaying constantly. Use hot hide glue. It's not once you start, you'll you'll see this is no big deal. It's actually way easier than I thought it would be. Cleanup is no big deal. Keeping the water at a constant temperature is easy if you have the right kind of little heating pot. Andy from Daneliquin used used uh, his lovely wife's uh, rice cooker. Yeah. I would not recommend using the liquid shelf stable, quote unquote, shelf stable. Hide glue. This debate is well. Really that's up. that's my opinion. So there you go. Thanks so much for listening to the show. That's all we got this episode. If you'd like to participate in the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. That number, once again, is 757-774-8482. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Good night.